Well, we're in week four of a series. We're looking at the book of Galatians. Uh, This is a letter uh, that is written uh, to a group of people, a group of Christians um, that are in modern day Turkey. And and what I want to talk about at the very beginning, and, and I try and reiterate this every week, is who is it that's writing this letter? Uh, This is being written by a guy named Paul. Now, this just isn't any guy. This is a real guy that has a real experience with Jesus. His life was so radically changed that when people saw him, they probably didn't understand it. That that Paul had a past. Uh, Now, you may think you have a past. You may think that you've done some things in your life that maybe would uh, cause God to wonder, "Could, could I... Could God really love me? Could God really forgive me? Uh, the, the scriptures that we've looked at in the first couple of weeks, we see that Paul was trying to violently destroy the church. Uh, he was persecuting Christians, men and women. Uh, he was trying to do all he could to wipe out the church. And then he has this but God moment. And so people begin to hear that Paul is coming. And, and can you imagine their fear? If they were followers of Jesus, could you imagine Paul coming into your community and you knew what Paul used to do, but you had heard he changed his life, but you didn't really understand it. And as an outsider, he looked kind of crazy. Um, Yesterday, I'm doing some work on my house and and I don't know if you've ever heard of carpenter bees or wood bees. Um, They're like this big. Um, Man, I I feel like they're just this monster uh, of of a bee. And we have them all over our house. Well, I was painting uh, the trim around my, my roof. And if you know anything, this is where they, they live. And so I'd be painting and then you could hear this noise like behind you. And so I decided to take some of these bees out. And so I got my son's uh, little plastic bat and I'm in the front yard just swinging this bat around trying to take out bees. And at one point I kind of look down the street and my neighbors are kind of out. And I start to wonder how they saw me, right? They don't see what I'm hitting. I'm just swinging a a, a bat around. I did take about three or four out. I was pretty excited about that, but they just kept coming, right? But, But for an outsider, someone who's not in the moment with me, right? If they came and stood with me, they would know exactly what I was doing. But as an outsider, someone who wasn't connected to Paul, that they just see this guy as he used to be. And they didn't really understand it, but some people had heard the story. We, we looked at this uh, two weeks ago, Galatians 1.23. It says, they only heard the report. The man who formerly persecuted us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they praised God because of me. So there was a group of people who saw this life change, who heard about this life change, and they begin to praise God because of the life that Paul was now living And see, Paul was preaching what we're looking at. He was preaching what we know as the gospel, the good news, the good news that says you are broken and I'm broken, that you have fallen short of what God wants and I have fallen short of what God wants. And we have, in a way, been separated from God. But but then God makes a way. And this way is Jesus. And so Paul is going around and he's saying, look, it's just Jesus It's not Jesus plus anything. It is just Jesus. It is Jesus that gets us back into right relationship with with God. However, as Paul begins to preach this, there's this group of people who are always following him everywhere he goes. And he says, I know you heard what Paul said. I know Jesus is great, but, but because you're not Jewish, because you are a Gentile, you need to do some more stuff. 
We're going to add to Jesus. And so when anything is added to Jesus, it's really a perversion of the gospel. It's not the gospel at all. It is no longer good news. It's something we are trying to do to earn uh, favor with God instead of understanding that it is by grace and grace alone that puts us back in right standing with God. And so we looked at this and we, we looked at how we can err. We can add something to Jesus and thinking we need more than just Jesus. But then the temptation for some people as you hear the good news of grace and the gospel is that then begins us a, it begins to give us a license. Right, well, God's grace is great. Well, then I'll just do whatever I want. I remember when I first started driving, when I first got my license, and you went from driving with someone sitting next to you. Do you remember this? If you, if you are old enough to, to drive here, I know some of you are teenagers and you're not there yet, and so everything I'm about to say, don't listen or do. Um, but when you, uh, when you first got your license, right? And, and I remember clearly leaving the place where I got my license and getting in the car for the first time by myself. Right? And you remember when your parent or guardian or grandparent taught you to drive and you drove like this and then you were by yourself and you, you just kind of took one hand off and you drove like this and maybe you didn't get to listen to the radio when you learned to drive, but now the radio is up. You, you now felt like you had this freedom to do whatever you wanted. I now have my license. And so some people take the gospel that way. And some people say, look, I can do whatever I want now because grace is available to me. And either way, whether we add something to Jesus or we think it gives us a license to do whatever we want, both ways is a perversion of the gospel. And we said that grace is what is, is saving us, right? It's this gift to save us. And then we said some of you that maybe you've added to Jesus to, to keep you in right relationship with Jesus. Like at some point you thought grace was enough, but then life hits and problems come and you kind of begin to do your own thing. And then you're like, man, I... I've kind of got out of touch. And so to get back with God, I need to do a bunch of stuff. I need to add a bunch of things to my life to sustain me. But see, grace is what sustains you as well. So it's what saves me and it is what sustains me. And today we're gonna to take this look at, at what uh, Paul is writing and we're gonna see it's also what shapes us, right? So it saves us, it sustains us, and it also shapes us. So we need God's grace in all of this. If you've missed any of this, uh, we post our, our sermons online. You can find that in the, the bulletin. So I'm not going to give too much because it would be a sermon of everything I've talked about the next, uh, the last couple of weeks. And so we're going to jump into Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 11. If you don't own a Bible, if you need a Bible, there's a red one around you somewhere. Please take that. That's our gift to you. If you use your phone or you use a Bible app, I would encourage you to open that, highlight things, make notes if you, if you need to. I'm going to read a little bit. And as I read, I'm going to stop and explain some things and attempt to give us some application of how we can implement these things into our lives. Galatians 2, starting in verse 11. It says, When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face because he was clearly in the wrong. All right, let's just stop real quick. Uh, this is a verse that we could easily read and just keep going. Uh, but it's really interesting to me. What, what is going on here is you have Paul who is writing this that we just talked about. And then you have Peter who is also someone who has believed in Jesus and he's living certain ways with certain groups of people. We'll see this in, in just a moment. But Paul says right here, I knew that Peter was in the wrong. And instead of talking to other people about Peter, right, instead of posting on Facebook uh, in code about Peter, 
right? Instead of having these opinions and talking to other people, Paul says, look, I knew Peter was in the wrong. And so I posed him to his, his face. It was important enough to Paul to say, look, I, I'm going to go straight to the source here. I'm going to deal with the issue. I'm going to deal with the problem with the person that is presenting the, the problem. He believed this was the best approach. And I think for many of us, we don't do this. Uh, we, we have an issue with someone. We have a problem with someone. Someone has hurt us or said something. And so instead of opposing that person to their face, we deal with it in other ways. And it's really unhealthy. It, it doesn't bring us back into right relationship with people when people have hurt us or maybe when we've hurt someone else. It continues to damage relationships. And so we, we talk about it to others instead of talking about it to them. We, we participate in it. The, the word we would know is gossip. Right? So someone might come to us and we feel like, well, I'm just helping that person out. But every time, every time we listen to gossip, what we're saying is it's okay to gossip. You might say, well, I'm not the one doing it, but you're participating in it. And so could I just encourage you? Could I encourage you to tell people to do what Paul has done here and just say, what if you went to them about it? What if you went and spoke to them about the problem that you had? We see here that Paul says, look, this was so important. I wasn't going to just talk to the church about it. I wasn't going to talk to other people. I was going to go straight to Peter, who I knew was in the wrong. Because we know that gossip hurts people. We know that gossip does not give us an opportunity to bring healing to relationships. It damages relationships. I have a buddy who runs a couple of urgent cares in Oklahoma City, and one of his rules is in, in their office is if you talk to someone about a problem and they have no way of dealing with the problem, then it's gossip. If they have no way of helping the situation or if they have no field of expertise in that, then it's gossip. And so my buddy Jeremy says, then we just don't do it. And so in our lives, and there's times when you, when you maybe talk to someone who is a mentor or a leader or you're getting advice from someone, but what's the purpose? Here we see the purpose was Paul needing to deal with the situation. And so he went straight to Peter to deal with it. And so what was he so upset about? What, what was Peter clearly in the wrong about? Verse 12. It says, before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. That would be the Jews. It says, the other Jews joined him in this hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you are a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? See, Peter had grown up as a Jew, so he knew all the rules. He knew what it meant to be a good Jewish person, that you, you followed the rules, you followed the laws, that you couldn't eat certain foods, you couldn't touch certain things, you couldn't touch dead things. If you had certain diseases, you were considered unclean, just among other, other things. And so Peter knew that for a Jewish person, there was this process that you had to follow to be able to worship God. There were these boxes that you needed to check before God would see you as clean. But then Jesus comes. Jesus comes and he points to the truth that nobody is unclean in Christ. That nobody has to work him, themselves up to be acceptable by Jesus. That I don't have to make myself clean for God to accept me and love me. Because as we read earlier, there is nothing, 
There is nothing that could separate us from the love of God. And so Peter, I'm not going to talk much about it, but if you want to go back and read later in Acts 10, if you want to write a note, um, Peter has this moment where God begins to change his heart about this, right? The things he had seen as unclean or people he had seen as unclean were no longer that way because God had spoke to him and changed his heart. And so Peter begins eating with the Gentiles. He begins eating things that would typically be seen as, as unclean. And he's spending time with those people. And spending time with those people, he's not adding rules to it. He's not adding anything to Jesus. He's just being with people. And the the Jews who would come along, and, and what Peter knows is there were these people who were making it hard for people to come to Jesus. Right? They were bringing the Jewish laws to it. And Paul says, look, you know that's not the case, but when you are with certain groups of people, you're making it harder for the Gentiles. You're not being who you know you are supposed to be. And then Paul says, you're a hypocrite. You're a hypocrite. And so if you know this word, it just means a pretender or an actor. To be a hypocrite means you wear a mask. That would have been the original language. And so what what Peter is doing is when he's with his circumcision group, the, the Jews, he wears that mask. And he lives a certain way and he believes something or he acts like he believes something certain about God when he's with those people. And then when he's with the Gentiles, he wears a certain mask. And so here's one of the most important things you'll hear me say, I think, about this passage in this part. It's in verse 13, it says, The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. Barnabas, too, was a Jew who had finally believed that Jesus was enough. But this hypocrisy becomes infectious, right? When Peter no longer is living in a way where he says Jesus is enough, it begins to spread among this people group that others begin to believe, well, maybe Jesus isn't enough. Maybe I do need to add to the message of Jesus, and it begins to spread. Barnabas had joined in the mission with Paul. Barnabas has been walking with Paul. Barnabas believes that Jesus is enough, but then he sees Peter. And he sees Peter who has said one thing, but now he's living a different way. And he sees this hypocrisy of Peter and Barnabas just begins to wonder, is Jesus enough? Uh, My son, who's seven, had spent some time in the woods and uh, came home and had a couple of ticks. Uh, and he had a tick bite on his leg that we removed. And then the next day, uh, he had a red circle around this tick bite that's about like this. And I've, I've, I don't know if I've shared with you, but I'm kind of a hypochondriac uh, for myself. And so I have one little thing that goes wrong and I begin to live in fear and wonder. And I ser- search WebMD, which is the worst thing you could possibly uh, ever do. And so we begin to look at this, this circle around my, my son's tick bite and you begin to search Lyme disease and what that could possibly look like. And I, I sent a message to my buddy, Jeremy, and he said, look, there's probably just some infection. Uh, here's what you need to do. And th- this will help kill the infection, right? Because the dangerous thing is the infection begins to spread, right? And if you don't stop the infection, if it gets bad enough, it's when you get really, really sick. It's how people die from infection is because the infection is not taken out. And I get the point here that Paul is saying, look, Peter, this is spreading like an infection. That you believed the truth, but at some point you have gotten out of what is true. 
You are no longer lined up with what you know to be true. And this hypocrisy is dangerous and it is going to have an impact on people. And so for us, if you're a follower of Jesus specifically, often what happens when we think of being a hypocrite, we think of someone who confesses one thing, but then lives this wild life. But that's not what Paul's talking about with Peter here. What Paul is saying is, Peter, you have talked about grace and that grace is enough. But now you're adding to it. You're making it hard for people to come to know who God is. And as followers of Jesus, it is vital for us not to do that. It is vital for us if we believe grace is enough for us, then grace is enough for other people. That if grace is enough for our past, then it's enough for other people's pasts. And so if we believe God is generous and kind to us, then he is generous and kind to other people. And so that's why we say that this is a place to come and belong for all people. Because I mean that. That I I truly believe that grace is enough, that Jesus is enough. And so we don't have to make it difficult for people. That we should remove any barrier possible to keep people from knowing who God is. Uh, that there's one pastor who leads a very large uh, church that says we will do everything short of sin to reach people with the gospel. That we will do everything short of sin to reach people with the gospel. That there are barriers that keep people from knowing this grace of God. And we have to begin to look at our own lives and wonder, am I doing anything? Am I posting anything? Am I treating people in a certain way that causes others to wonder if Jesus is enough? my favorite thing to see about Jesus is just how he interacted with people. Uh, In the Gospel of Luke, uh, if you were to go look at the Gospel of Luke, it looks like Jesus is either always coming from a meal or going to a meal. He is always participating in community with people. Uh, He's touching those he's not supposed to touch. He's spending time with people he's not supposed to spend time with. And he's not doing this in secret. He doesn't go to the leper and heal them and touch them, and then look around to see who saw. He doesn't add to what he's doing with people. He says, look, I want to restore you here and now. There's a situation with a woman who had been bleeding for years, and and she hasn't been able to get any help. And the, the scriptures actually say when she goes to doctors and anyone to help, it actually gets worse. And Jesus is in this large crowd And he's traveling and he's on his way to do something good. He's going on his way to heal. And and this woman comes up and believes, if I just touch the hem of Jesus' robe, that I'll be healed. And so she sneaks in and she touches the robe of of Jesus. And Jesus feels his power go out from him. And Jesus stops in the midst of the crowd. And in this crowd would have been all kinds of people. You would have the extreme religious people who who have the Jewish background, who are doing everything right. And you would have the other end of the spectrum who are looking to see if Jesus really is who he says he is. And this woman touches Jesus. And when he turns around and he sees her, right, that he sees her, he, he looks at her and he speaks to her. And he heals her. Now, the healing had already taken place, that, that she no longer was bleeding, but there was so much more healing that was taking place. This woman, because she was bleeding, could not have lived in her house with her family. She would have been seen as unclean. And so she would have been on her own. She could not have prepared a meal for her family. Everything that that said this woman, uh, who this woman was and her identity, everything she wanted to do, she was unable to do. 
And so in that moment, in this crowd, with people wondering what Jesus is going to do, he speaks to this woman who had been put out to the outside, who, who no one had anything to do with. And, and we're going to talk about this in a couple weeks when we get done with Galatians, but we're going to talk about this invisible epidemic of loneliness, of what it means to be lonely. And my guess is this woman was lonely. She had nobody. And so the healing that takes place is not only a healing physically, medically, but it is a healing of putting her back in right relationship with community. Everyone knew who she was. Everyone knew and maybe even tried to stop her from getting to Jesus. And Jesus looks at her and he speaks to her and he heals her. And he doesn't care what anyone thinks or believes, but he knows that he was enough for her. Jesus is enough. So why did, why did Peter do this? Why is Peter all of a sudden making it harder for people? Well, we see, he says he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. He was afraid of what those people would think, that, that he was being too much of a grace giver, that he was worried that they would wonder if, G, if, if he had lost his mind. And so he cared more about their expectations than the expectations of God. And so as we begin to do this, as we begin to reach out, as we begin to love people, as we begin to peop be people who give grace to one another, our concern is God alone. Paul says earlier that I'm not looking to please people, but God. And in this moment, Peter cares more about what his people believe than what God believes. And so he had to be sure of what he knew about God's grace. And I wonder if he did, because he begins to question and begin to live differently. But maybe there was more. Uh, maybe there's more going on. Maybe, maybe Peter was stuck in his tradition. Uh, maybe he was stuck in his nationality. Maybe he was stuck in his heritage because the most important thing for him was that he was Jewish. And he had grown up believing that him being Jewish was more important than anything else. That he was more important than anyone else simply because of where he was born or what his culture was. That made him better than someone else. He may have even believed that the Gentiles were inferior to him. That they came from the wrong place. That they were born to the wrong people. And so Peter is wanting to add to that. And so their cultural differences was getting in the way of this gospel unity. And it says, Paul says that when Peter does this, that he is failing to act in line with the truth of the gospel. This is extremely significant to us. This is significant to us because the gospel isn't something, something that we simply believe in. It's not just something that's in our head, but it works itself out into our lives. It has an implication for every area of our lives that we should continually, continually be realigning ourselves with the truth of the gospel. Always in everything that we do in your business, in your home, in your neighborhood, the way you handle money, the way you ask for forgiveness and you give forgiveness, the way we love people, all this comes in line with what we believe about the gospel. So maybe Maybe Peter's problem was nationalism. 
Now, this isn't just him being patriotic. This isn't just being proud of where he's from. No, no, no. It was this idea that God's favor was on him more than it was someone else simply because he was Jewish. And so pride has caused him to believe that Jesus wasn't enough to save others. Maybe himself because he was Jewish, but not other people. And so we, we have to ask some difficult questions. And we have to ask ourselves if we believe that we're superior to anyone else for any reason. This could be race, culture, or that we're born in the right area. It could be economics, that, that we're in a middle class or an upper middle class. And so we, we look at people who are lower class or lower middle class as inferior to us. That we look at someone who is uneducated differently than someone who is educated or someone who is a single mom or a single dad, or you, you could fill in the blank. In what area do we feel like maybe we're superior to someone else because of who we are? And what we have to begin to see about the gospel is the gospel completely levels the playing field. That it doesn't matter. It, none of that matters. And, and we'll see that. Let, let's, let's look right here in verse 15. It says, we who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners... Know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not observing the law, because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Paul goes after the problem here and he says, look, it doesn't matter what your traditions have looked like. It doesn't matter what your heritages look like. It doesn't matter that you're able to check the box that you're Jewish. None of that can justify you before God. None of that will earn God's favor. We understand that it's by faith in Christ alone. Maybe it gave the Jewish people an advantage, right? They had the tradition, they had the heritage, they had the experiences of God coming through for them. Maybe this gave them an advantage, but it will not save them. Maybe you're at an advantage. Maybe you're at an advantage because you were born in a certain place. Maybe you were born to a family who, who raised you to understand who God was. Maybe you're at an advantage because you were prayed over as a child. I, I look out and I know some of your stories, you were born and put in a nursery like a few days into your life. You're sitting next to people who you were put in a nursery with, right? And that, that may put you at an advantage, but that will not save you. It does not put us in right relationship with God. I was in a meeting this week with some leaders from around the country last week. And we went around and we were talking about different things. And, and out of this group, all of them besides myself grew up in church. And then almost all of them, their parents were either pastors or missionaries. I have a feeling that might have put them at an advantage. Maybe over me, who was not, not brought up in that way. Maybe they have an advantage. But look, we're on evil, even playing fields when it comes to knowing that we're justified by our faith that their, their history and their past does not give them a leg up. That we, myself, I am not superior to anyone for any reason. That grace levels the field. And so all of this is, is great. I mean, all of this is great, our, our traditions, our heritage that, that you have grown up in, but, but until you believe that Jesus is enough, it doesn't matter that we must understand the good news of the gospel is that grace is what saves us. And grace not only saves us or sustains us, but it begins to shape us. 
uh, next week, we're going to take a next step in this. So this is kind of part one. Uh, Paul's going to go on to say why his life, Paul's life, has been completely changed. Why is it that Paul is able to do what he's doing? How can Paul go from killing Christians to becoming Christians to helping people become Christians and planting churches? What is it that happens in Paul's life? What decision does Paul make to get him to the place where he says, look, the gospel is enough, that I don't have to add anything to it? Greg's going to come up and and close us with a, a song. Uh, I hope today, maybe maybe you've been around the church forever. Uh, maybe you've heard the gospel talked about so much, but maybe you're stuck in this place where you think the gospel is great, but you've had to add a little bit to it. Would you hear me say today that it's Jesus plus nothing? And maybe you have dealt with a little bit of hypocrisy where you have felt like you've needed to add to it with certain groups of people that you've questioned if grace could really be enough for them. And when that happens, we have to begin to ask God for forgiveness. We have to believe that we've done wrong. If gossip is something that we struggle with, we begin to ask God to forgive us for that. But may we be people who our lives are shaped by the good news of the gospel, that everything we do is changed because of that. And then maybe you're new to this idea. Maybe you've lived a life and you've heard about God, but you really haven't known who God is. Maybe I just extend an invitation to you today to believe, to put your faith in the one who loves you dearly, who saves you, puts you back in right relationship, and then when you fail and you mess up, that he'll sustain you. But ultimately, he wants to shape your life. He wants to shape you into something that looks a lot like Jesus, where we're able to love one another. Would you stand with me as I pray? as we finish with a a song. God, we need more of your grace in our lives. Lord, I fail sometimes and wonder if grace is enough even for myself or for my neighbors or for those people. Uh, Would you help me to understand that, that you are enough, that Jesus is enough? Would you help us as we fall in the temptation of hypocrisy, of gossip? Lord, would you forgive us? Would you help us to not do that? help us to be people who love well and that the gospel would shape our lives into something new. And I'm so thankful for every person who walked into this place. I pray that they know that they're deeply loved by you. I pray in Jesus' name.